All right. Uh, welcome to. Are we on the ninth now? Uh, session of the beer brain of the firm reading group with general intellect unit. Uh, this week we are reading chapter nine, autonomic management. Um, and uh, beer's intro to this chapter is. I actually, there we go. Uh, so, um, the body has understood uh, this dilemma about autonomy for several hundred thousand years, and we can learn from it. Its solution is called the autonomous nervous system, appropriately enough. By the end of chapter nine, we shall see, we shall have seen how it works, uh, and we shall also have worked out uh, gotta love that. What is it? Past perfect uh, <laughs> verb form there. Uh, <laughs> oh no, now I'm gonna get, this is recorded. Now I'm gonna get in trouble with the grammar police. They're gonna revoke my English teacher license. Uh, tricks on, or jokes on them. I never got one. Um, so, <laughs> uh, and we shall also have worked out its relevance to the management task. Three vital systems are identified as prerequisites of all autonomous control. Uh, so yeah, this is really a bridging chapter between chapter eight and chapter 10. Um, it's, it's really just like, hey, here's all that physiology stuff we talked about in the earlier part of this section. Uh, let's start to build the VSM out of it. Um, let's start to think about organization. Uh, so what are uh, general thoughts on this chapter? Uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, it's um, like after, what, a hundred and something pages, it's, it finally all starts to come together. <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. Um, it's a great chapter. I um, uh, Yeah, so a lot of it's just retreading the physiology stuff in management terms. It's, it's all quite good. But um, one of the things that really jumped out at me this time um, was that we get we get some clarity on like the actual definition of system one, and I, I'm starting to think that I might have actually must misunderstood what system one elements really were all along. Um, that elements are the control elements of the subunits; they're not the subunits themselves, um, which I think is actually really, really important. So when we get to that that part on page 126, we'll kind of pause and go over that stuff. Uh, that's that's yeah. really crucial. Like I, I, I think that, that clarified my understanding of it. It's like oh, they're not actually sub bodies; they're the control elements of the. I had the same thought reading this chapter. I was mm -hmm. like, "Oh wait, what's this?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's that interface control element. Um, yeah, uh, go ahead. Oh, any anything else to say? Okay, that's the main thing. Yeah, uh, I'd say that was the most surprising thing about this chapter for me. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's, um, yeah, like from what I took out of the VSM guide, uh, this was a rather different understanding. Um, now, I don't know if that's kind of the last word on System 1, uh, but it is certainly worth bearing in mind uh, that this is the organization that Beer has laid out here. Um is, any other thoughts on chapter nine? Uh, Rudy, go ahead. 
kind of following what Shane is saying, I'm also in doubt about the system one thing because I remember at some point I had this idea that the system ones were also viable systems in itself and there was some sort of recursion. While like Shane was saying earlier, the systems ones are not the control of a system. So I'm not sure how that meshes together. Yes, uh, if in fact the uh, working body itself is external uh, to system one, that implies that it does not recur. Uh, so a recursive. So uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, th th this stuff is so tricky because and this is probably the root of some of my kind of ongoing confusion. Um, uh, Yes, the, the the things are meant to be recursive, right? But like, well, no. So, like in in this chapter, it's the subsidiaries that are sub, sub VSMs, but the system one element that's actually called out is the control interface of subsidiary, not the entire subsidiary itself. Which I think is kind of important because um, I think when we're thinking when we're thinking about the recursive like um, model. I think we can sometimes think of it as like containment, like the like like uh, Russian dolls, whatever. That one thing is fully contained within within the other, which which implies like a full subsumption, which I think is actually not what Breer is really going for. He's going for that the the control elements are recursively nested in a containment fashion, but the actual activities themselves may not be. I think there's a there's a Beer actually does draw a very clear distinction between activity and control. And the control of the activity, like he, he draws a distinction between the subsidiary and the control element of the subsidiary, and it's I think it, we can often get kind of slipped up into which one we're kind of thinking about. So, um, I think this gets the, the most messy at the level where you're kind of like at the bottom level, at like the where the, there's like a direct human interface, because like a kind of if somebody was to take the VSM model and fit it easily onto like an org chart kind of organization, they would see, say that like, oh, people are viable systems. Therefore, like a team is a, is a viable system composed of people and the people are the system one elements. And that's, that's our way of looking at it, right? Like you're coordinating the activities of the people. But elsewhere, Beer talks about things that really suggest otherwise that like he, he talks, I think in the previous chapter where it's like, um, you know, you could, or it might, it's maybe even the beginning of this chapter where it's like, oh, you could have a company of one person and that one person is wearing the five hats of the thing. And then if you had two people, you'd have five functions divided between two. So there's very clearly a slippage between the identifiable bodies and the actual tasks being controlled. I think that's, that's the most obvious when you're at the kind of human interface level, because it's really kind of clear of like, hey, what, what are we actually controlling here? Are we controlling people or are we controlling pr processes? And the, the kind of weird reality is you're actually kind of doing both. But I, I, I tend to lean away from, I think, the trap of identifying like the particular like tactile objects as being the system one elements and, and think more about system one elements being kind of processes and, um, and, and activities. Um, but to be fair, like, and this is why I've, I found it so confusing all along is that Beer kind of does equivocate on this. He's, he's not especially clear. Um, and I think he, he kind of plays both sides of the card in some places. Yeah. And I, I'm a little bit skeptical of that reading, uh, that like perhaps the individuals are, um, insofar as they connect with the viable system under consideration, 
are mm-hmm. uh, actually like kind of just a mapping of functions onto people, right? Mm-hmm. Like that it doesn't that the the interface system is not really the person; it's more the person as seen by the VSM, right? The, yeah, the functions yeah. that are inherent to that person insofar as they connect to the broader system. Um, mm-hmm. Because Beer, when he talks in this chapter and in previous chapters about um, viable systems, he has he puts a very strong emphasis on integrity and unity, right? Yeah, so yeah. if an individual is a viable system, they mu- that viable system must be integral to them and it must also be a unitary system. Um, otherwise, mm-hmm. it's not a viable system because, you know, the beer is really at pains to stress that. So um, mm-hmm. this is an interesting point, right? Like, it's like, like I don't think we get so much um, the idea that, well, there's the sense in which for the individual, they are viable. And there's the sense for which the system has like a separate viable system that it projects onto them. Because I think that it would be overriding mm-hmm. their autonomy in a sense, right? Yeah. Um, okay, well, we've got a, sure. we've got a lot of uh, uh, comments here, uh, so uh, we'll go to uh, Steve and then to Rudy and then to Jeremy. Yeah, not um, maybe not too much. I mean, I, I absolutely did start to start question myself too in terms of like, are these are the different systems in this people or the organizations and, and the lines of that started to like blur and almost become less clear as I was reading through this. Um, but it also like, you know, I'm relatively new to this stuff too, but starting to read more of like the discussions in the chats um, over the last couple of weeks as I've gotten more into this and really seeing how people like identify different sorts of behavior with the different systems and how, you know, there's all these questions of like, you know, is this system three or what, what, what system would this particular you know, organization be? And I mean, I'm starting to see that from the book. Uh, I'm just a little curious, like, is that something that's like continuing, will continue to be like elucidated through? Is that something that like, oh, I should have a good sense of what each system does at this point? And I mean, it's sort of related to the fact that like, are these systems sort of clear entities as people, as organizations? And um, so the question is just sort of like, I'm starting to, the, the confusion here is starting to actually grow a little bit <laughs> right? As I, as I try to make sense of all of this. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an experience all of us are going through a little bit here. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't say that I'm any clearer on this than most people here, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I think that is partially inherent to the nature of this chapter as a bridging chapter between physiology and organization, uh, uh, organizational management, right? Uh, so there is a kind of like weird liminal space happening here. And it's, um, I think it, that is producing confusion because this is where the boundary is right. Um, there's like a hybridity here. Um, and so I believe like in terms of like identifying in an organization, like, Oh, this should be system three. This is the function of performance. We've seen the roots of that in the previous chapter. 
but it's going to be more clearly articulated going forward as we talk about uh, specific organizational theory. Um, like as I think, you know, I haven't read further in this book. I mean, I know Jeremy and Shane, you have. Uh, but my feeling is like, you know, at the start of the book, Beer said that the third section is where you get the conversation you actually came to this book for. And I think that's probably where we're going to see that stuff that you're talking about. Um, yeah, Lauren is screaming uh, as a uh, technical editor uh, over this uh, writing approach. Uh, <laughs> it says I, I, this reminds me a lot of like the dialectical writing style that you get in Europe, uh, like essay structure, which is the absolute like inverse of the five paragraph essay uh, uh, where it's like you have the thesis front loaded. Um, so, yeah, this is this is uh, contrary to everything our Anglo hearts uh, hold dear uh, in terms of theory and and uh, and and writing. OK, uh, Rudy and then Jeremy. Yeah, I was thinking also like along these topics, because if you not so much the body example, but take uh, the cyber sin example there, what was the system one? Because we had this discussion a few weeks ago. Is it the company is a system one and then the company itself is a system, a viable system on itself? But I, like you're saying, I found that somewhat lacking because it's not autonomous enough. Well, this solution that the system one is the way you're interfacing with this factory is probably a much better one because then take the factory as a VSM. What is the lower system one? At some point it's a worker, but the worker's life is not limited to the company. Well, the body example, like your heart doesn't exist outside your body, but in a company, people have to exist outside the company. So, um, and I would just kind of question that, like your heart could exist outside your body. You could hook it up to a machine and run it. Right. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's not, uh, absolutely integral to your body. Uh, and inseparable. I mean, organ transplants are a thing, right? Um, uh, okay, uh, Jeremy, go ahead. So Rudy kind of hit at something I was going to say, but I can elaborate, which is, you know, under capitalism, most labor is alienated labor, which means that the worker as a human being, as its own viable system, as their own viable system, you know, when you're at work under an alienated role, you're thinking about football, you're thinking about your kids, you know, you're not, you're thinking the bare minimum you need to do to crank that lather, do whatever shite you're supposed to do. And so that can't be part of the company your dreams and the rest of your what Lefebvre would call everyday life is not part of the VSM of your company. So really the part any particular worker plays is how their roles are mapped onto the VSM and therefore the system one part that includes a particular worker who has no metasystemic duties is really 
how the company interfaces with that particular worker. Um, okay, right. So it, it is the interface and not an exhaustive account of the individual, which can kind of view, be viewed holographically uh, as its own uh, recursive VSM. It's, it's actually... So... Essentially, this is not a uh, part-whole discussion. It's a serial discussion. This is uh, like... Um, I guess it's it's kind of more like function application, right? Rather than saying like, oh, this is like a nested set. I don't know. No, that's not logical. But um, I'm trying to get at something here where like these are essentially chained and recursive on their own rather than being uh, a, like, uh, you know, uh, holistic uh, account that is encompassing. Um, uh, okay, Shane, go ahead. Yes, I, I think... Um uh, I, I think the we might actually have a kind of a problem here where I think beer is like taking the, the biological sort of nervous system model and then kind of like scaling it up into the, the social sort of level, which is which does work. But I think we, we could maybe take some of like Deleuze and Guattari's kind of read of their their kind of metaphysics of like the stratum and the, the way that like the same kind of dynamics play out, but in very different, like more explosive kind of ways as you go up the levels of abstraction. So you get the same dynamics in like the, the physical layer, you get the same dynamics again, but more weird and deterritorialized in the organic layer. And then you get to the alloplastic layer, which is like the cultural social layer and the same dynamics again, but even weirder. And like the, the relations become more, um, more uh, kind of dislocated in space and time, they become less about containment. So like um, an, org an organ of the body strictly contains one of its like molecules, like its, its, uh, its atoms or whatever is strictly contained inside of it. Then you go up to the organic layer and it's like, well, the organ can be displaced out of the body. And then you go up to the alloplastic layer and it's well, all of this can be displaced fucking everywhere. And so containment and like locality become less and less of a thing the further up the stack of abstraction you go. I think so. I think Beer is right that the, the the same dynamics are present higher up in the in these kind of abstraction layers, but there's a kind of there's a difference in kind that comes with um, this kind of like transition from the organic to the socioplastic kind of um, kind of layers, which makes things like I mean like so like a person is a viable system, but then they participate in many viable systems. Like your your heart will only participate in one body at a time. But I, as a person, participate in my family, in my company, a such and such friend group or whatever. And I think an assemblage theory is probably the more appropriate kind of model as you go further and further up. Like things get weirder and more ghostly. And the further down you go, the more the more concrete they get. Does that make any sense? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's true until you get to the quantum level and then they get weirder again. Um. <laughs> uh yeah, I think that is probably a good theory. I'm not 100% sure it accords with what Beer is saying because he's kind of saying in this chapter, yes, that's true, that happens, but ideally these should be these should be unitary and integral. Mm -hmm. They should not yeah. be uh uh they should not be uh weird assemblages 
that just kind of partially interface mm-hmm. with each other in chaotic ways. Um, there is, I, I, I think there's a kind of opposite impulse in beer because he's interested in organization. Like he wants to organize. Um, so I think he's kind of like, if I had to take a general thought at how beer approaches that question, it seems to me like he's saying, yes, uh, you know, things become uh, less predictable. They become more complex um, as you go uh, to, to higher levels. But we need organizational systems that will attenuate variety at those levels and organize them, not uh, sort of operate in that that like, you know, rhizomatic floaty way. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Totally. Yeah. So uh but I, you know, I think they're 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 like two different angles of looking at the same question, um, and and maybe the Deleuze and Guattari one is a better way of looking at it. I don't know, but I think it's going to be an interesting question. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, I'm 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 finding it um, uh, helpful to think to uh, think of in terms of like you know the, the, the VSM is the is, is the nervous system like it's it's not the whole body. And, uh, uh, you know, like, even though different layers kind of speak different languages, it does actually kind of speak like a common language, you know, or, or, or like the Internet, you know, in, in, in a way that um, uh, uh, like the rest of it uh, uh, kind of doesn't. Uh, and so, you know, like you know, your, your, your liver is like its own thing, you know, it has its, it's, its own mode of production. Like, uh, uh, well, you know, neurons, even if they have different, um, uh, you know, e- e- even if you know, they've got different shapes, you know, like are kind of speaking a common language. And so like, uh, you know, like where the system one meets like a subsystem, like that's like a n- neuromuscular junction because, you know, your muscles handle all kinds of crap uh, on their own. Um, uh, and so, yeah, well, uh, like that's a... Um, yeah, or, or you know, like uh, um, uh, the my understanding of how like um, uh, you know, commissioned officers like work, and that a lot of what they are actually doing isn't is is more about just like coordinating with like other you know sections, and like you know they're learning how to you know relay map um uh, directions to people, and uh, and and you know they know how to talk to the artillery battalion, and like you know they they know how to uh, uh you know communicate with. How you know you you deal with like uh, air forces like it, it's a lot about intersystem stuff versus like other stuff that's you know kind of a uh, you know speaking its own internal language or you know like an internet protocol. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. That's that's a that's another good thought. Like you know how uh, how far does this go down? Uh, are there different kinds of things that would not be uh, considered viable, um, but nonetheless are are living um, because of their connection to a viable system. Um, Okay, I think we've had like enough general discussion. Um, let's let's move on to uh, like talking about the chapter some more. Um, okay, so um, Beer is saying at the beginning um, we are talking about the control of a that is to say any uh, viable organism. Uh, thus, the firm may be small or large. If the firm is small, and suppose that in the limiting case it consists of a one-man band, then all the functions we have been discussing will be condensed precisely into the one man. It was mentioned before that there is a mathematical account of the model building process, uh, but from the mathematical point of view, by far the most elegant and satisfying model of anything at all is in fact itself. Uh, so it's like, yeah, there's a... I don't know, algebraic model. I don't know what 
I don't know what the mathematical model is, but there is a model out there somewhere. Uh, but, you know, actually, uh, it's kind of better to talk about the thing itself rather than to talk about the mathematics because uh, that's just that's just better. It's not a facsimile. Um, uh, that must sound odd to anyone who hopes to use a model for purposes of elucidation, but it does at least provide a valid and substantial starting point. If a man is the firm, then he is using his own nervous system to run the firm. If two men go into partnership, then they are likely to divide the functions of the firm between them. Suppose that one of them makes things while the other goes out to sell them. We can see the sense in which the first man has all the interoceptors. I don't think this term has come up before, but I think it's just like, you know, internal checking receptors, right? Um, he is the one who knows about the state of the machinery he is using. The rooms he is working in, the heat, the light, the raw materials, work in progress, and available finished goods. The other man has the exteroceptors. He provides the interface with suppliers and markets and brings back information about the interaction of the firm with the world outside. How do we now see the ascending hierarchy of computing systems which can constitute the brain of the firm? Um, so as you're kind of saying that, it's, it's, not, it's not the uh, entirety of the thing, it is the brain of the thing which is actually the nervous system and the brain together, is the brain of the firm. Um, undoubtedly, these two men will talk together, and if the partnership is a good one, they will mutually decide on the filtrations, on the control actions at every level, and ultimately on the firm's policy. If the firm is now enlarged to a sizable business, in which several hundred people are taking part, the position is not so simple. We shall in any orthodox business discover that the whole organization has become fragmented. Among the work people, this is unexceptionable. We have the analog of the body's organs, each performing its appointed task. But control is vested in management, and the likelihood is that management has become fragmented too. Instead of the mainstream of ascending information passing through a hierarchy of computing systems, we shall find information going up, as it were, in species of information that relating to production, to costs, to sales, and so on. And the heads of each of these functional divisions, each of whom is probably a director of the firm, now have the task of communicating, of shouting to each other across the void. This task they will find rather difficult, because once the firm grows to any size, the intimacy of what used to be a partnership is lost. The people simply do not have sufficient time to do as much talking as information theory would calculate they need to do if complete harmony is to be established. After all, if you want to know in complete detail what I have been doing for the last hour, then I shall want exactly one further hour to explain. If I have ten colleagues and cannot see on average more than two of them at once, then I shall need five hours to explain my one hour. It is just an application of the law of requisite variety. If I can afford no more than 10 minutes in explaining myself for every hour worked, then I shall devote two minutes per pair of colleagues, and there will be a ratio of 30 to 1 in the reduction of variety between myself and them. Some lethargic managerial societies seem to work quite smoothly on this basis. 
for the very simple reason that for them, this turns out to also to be also the ratio of clock time to work useful working activity. <laughs> so <laughs> they do 30 units of bullshitting for every one unit of useful working time. <laughs> um, but a man who really is doing an hour's work in every hour is bound to lose an intelligibility. Next, we must note that this applies in the best of all worlds, one in which people love each other and are completely determined to share their understanding. But human nature is not like this. Even the most willing of us finds himself antipathetic in varying degrees to some of his uh, colleagues. Even the most innocent of us occasionally succumbs to political motives which make him a deliberately poor communicator. The conservatively minded businessmen among us will have none of this somewhat ruthless analysis. There is no need for goodness sake to tell me or for me to tell everyone else in detail what I'm doing. I am paid to do my job properly, and all that anyone else needs to know is what I think they ought to know about the results of my work. And yet, this is just the trouble. A viable organism works as an integral whole. A typical business is integrated too late and too little. Anyone of experience and perception who analyzes last week's business experience in his own firm is going to appreciate the point. People have ordered supplies that were there all the time or that are no longer needed. People have taken a particular direction in a given matter because of a circumstance which is much outweighed by another circumstance of which they were unfortunately ignorant. If we could stop the business this week to analyze what happened last week, we should all be sadder but wiser. Okay, so what are what are thoughts on, on this section? We've covered uh, a good deal of this in the earlier discussion, uh, but uh, this is the first, the, the details. Uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, um, uh, I think that this, this, the, the, he's setting up the problem here of like fragmentation, right? That like it's the, the fragmented activities and the, uh, I think he says a little bit later that you'll get like a management consultant or whoever who's like tasked with reintegrating the stuff, but then by then it's too late. Like you need, you need the system to actually interleave all these processes as it goes. It's not enough to try to stitch the shards back together again later. I kind of wanted to go to, like, just to, to remark on, on almost the very start of that, that, like, suppose that one of them makes things while the other goes out and sells them. I think this is kind of Beer's kind of 60s sort of industrial sort of mindset where there's one job for one person, uh, one activity for one person. Like, there's a strict identity between the human beings and the one and only one activity that they form. Um, and that's the thing that I, I think I find question with, because, like, we see in, like, say, the VSM guide, there's the example of the, the small co-op where you've got, what, three people and five, jo five jobs. And it, like, it, it, it's very obvious that there's actually kind of slippage across what the, the activities that are being coordinated actually are. Um, I kind of I, I feel that maybe because the, the, the ground assumptions here of like, oh, of course, if there's two people and there's sales and making, then one of them is going to do one of each. And he, he kind of writes off the possibility that both would do both, you know, that like you would, you would spend half your day making stuff and half of it selling it and, or flip around all the time. Um, so that's, it's just really interesting that that's there as an assumption at the start. Yeah. Um, it is definitely a result of the process of like increasing the division of labor, um, that happens after Taylor, right. Um, and kind of gets clawed back. Uh, is starting in the, I guess, 
80s. Um, uh, probably this speaks to more than anything Beer's audience of managers who are used to this stuff. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just a good point. Um, uh, now uh, we're going to go to Jake and then Lauren. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think this is, this is definitely an interesting chapter and it, it does feel like it's starting to come together, um, slowly, but, you know, still, it feels like there's something being built, uh, definitely. Um, and yeah, like from the stuff, like the first couple pages are kind of, it seems like going over the problem of like how, yeah, how that information of like what is happening is communicated and, um, I don't know if he exactly goes into it in the rest of the chapter, like some specifics or if that's what we have to wait for the part three of the book to get into. But it's just uh, definitely something that I've been thinking a lot about. Like, what are those like automatic processes that send data to the rest of the the systems? Or I mean, like from system one to system two and system three, all that stuff. Um, cause like, obviously with a body, the answer is very easy, easy. It's in that it's just automatic and it's like part of the function of how it's like constructed, which I guess, I guess that's kind of the point of the whole like model, right? That it's like an automatic, like as part of how it's constructed, it provides feedback to the rest of the model. Only I don't know how to do that what that would look like. I mean, I guess computers play a role in it and that's kind of like a novel thing from writing from the sixties or seventies. Uh, whereas now it kind of feels like, well, yeah, of course there's like metadata associated with everything and everything has like some like information that's sending to all the different parts of, you know, your, your, uh, your smart fridge is sending uh, data to the rest of the, the house, you know, like all these things, but like to integrate it in like the more, organized and like useful way is is interesting and I'm I'm curious to see like what that looked like in some practice or how and how we can like replicate it in some way yeah I, I think we can probably say that uh, the smart home is is not a viable system because your your provider can just flip a little switch and boop the whole thing dies um uh Pay me a subscription fee every month now uh, in order to have your lights turn on. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, okay. Um, no, that's fair. And I like, you know, the, obviously beer puts a lot of stock in the value of the microcomputer in achieving this. Uh but it's also worth noting that, like, any example that we do get in this book um, of how this ought to work is necessarily going to be outdated. So we can get stuff that's maybe a little bit more parsable uh, than it's, oh, it's just the body. But, like, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's not going to give us the instruction manual on how to do this today because the tech is just so different. Uh, the circumstances are, too. Uh, as Shane was sort of pointing to. Uh, okay, Lauren, go ahead. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because <laughs> um, what this section brought to mind was like uh, organizations that kind of start 
with one or two people or start and don't have like a purpose or don't have like haven't like had that conversation about what are we doing where are we going and like getting that shit done up front um because it's interesting that like identity is mentioned because like, i found that when there is this fragmentation of like jobs that inevitably like get put upon people if there's not that conversation up front um you tend to get organizations that fit into sort of privilege hierarchies <laughs> where uh it's it'll be yeah like the ones is white dude at the top and then who has stuff that needs done and then you know uh women end up taking on all that burden or people uh, that kind of thing um and yeah i, I really I, I felt this like a sort of identity politics level <laughs> where um systems can work but often it's at that cost of like sort of identity politics to get rubbed into it if it's not purpose and intent behind what you're doing yeah like beer appeals to human nature here uh, but you certainly could find like a mediating layer of problems uh, that is actually uh, structural. Um, so, you know, he says like a requirement for a truly viable organization is first of all uh, that people love each other, which is something that, you know, you probably don't find in most management textbooks because it's considered to be out of the question. Uh, but uh, that's important um, and are completely determined to share their understanding. Uh, so, you know, if, if you wanted to have the sort of ideal organization, that would be um, the, the sort of limit case. Uh, obviously he's not going to demand that everyone loves each other and have, have, have a complete commitment to sharing, but you can certainly see how like structural inequalities are going to, uh, throw wrenches in this, in this, uh, sort of, uh, ideal case, um, where information will be withheld on the basis of sort of the old boys club or, uh, you know, where, um, yeah. For other various reasons, like, oh, like, oh, you you couldn't possibly understand this because this information is gendered or, uh, you know, like uh, your sort of people aren't smart enough to understand this. Or I don't I don't I don't want you getting in on this because we got to maintain a race hierarchy in this organization. Uh, like, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Or like even, um, you know, having uh, family barbecues. But excluding queer couples um, from that and and those barbecues being core sort of networking things like the ones that beer was talking about with tea time in the in the uh, the previous chapter as uh, all kinds of ways you can think about this happening. Um, so it's a very important point for sure. Um, OK, so uh, let's let's move on then. Um, so there is the whole example that beer gives here of his personal experience uh, uh, dealing with, uh, these problems. Um, it's pretty, uh, entertaining. Um, <laughs> the ultimate solution is piling off cuts in the boot of a car. Uh, <laughs> after a lot of sort of like mutual vetoing between the two departments, the manager's like, just, just throw it all in the boot. Send it out there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, so not, uh, especially good handling of it. Eventually the kind of like, uh, managerial veto function does kick in, but it's, it's not an elegant solution. Um, all right. So, uh, then he talks about, um, 
this other thing, which I think is actually quite important uh, from the viewpoint of socialism. Uh, so he says, there's a huge number of examples of breakdown in the control system of the firm from these causes, most of which are far less risable and far more serious. Um, indeed, the most serious examples are perhaps the most common, and they have to do with the firm's major policy. Capital investment in plant is going to be decided by production people who think they know what the market requirements are. This is because the marketing people keep telling the production people what they want. But the marketing people do this on the basis that they know what the production facilities are. And so quite typically, there is a chicken and egg problem, which only the managing director or the board itself can solve. Unfortunately, these people are likely to see the problem, uh, which only the managing director or the board itself can solve. Unfortunate, uh, sorry, uh, unfortunately, these people are likely to see the problem as a battle of influence between the two protagonists and they may well fail to notice that an integral solution, one which looks to the viability of the firm as a whole, will give a completely different answer. So, yeah, again, you may think, oh, yeah, like the board of directors is going to figure this out. The CEO is going to give a direction, right? Like Bureau was saying, like, uh, you know, gesture in one direction or gesture in the other. Uh, but unfortunately... What the uh, CEO sees this as is a political issue, right? This, this, this is, first of all, interpreted as these uh, directors expressing their political interests because the meta language that the CEO understands is that of uh, interdepartmental rivalry. Um, and therefore, it's not actually a integral uh, solution. Uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. This, this stuff's really, this is really interesting. And yeah, it's like, um, it immediately brings to mind the kind of Bolsch model, right. Or whatever of these, uh, these kind of, uh, centralized kind of things. And it, it's, it's very interesting here. Cause like his, his whole, um, framing is very much this like, uh, integral sort of information processing. Like the whole, the whole organization needs to act as an information processor as, as a, as an integral system, it has to compute these results. But when control functions are over-identified with particular persons, the person actually acts as a block to information processing because their subjective position is so narrow. And this is a really tricky thing that like human subjects often have a much narrower like ability to this information than like I mean even even a little bit later he's like you know the the, the three pound computer in your head is actually pretty damn limited. And so decision-making really has to not reside within particular people. It has to be a distributed function in order for the overall group organism to compute the result correctly. If information gets stuck inside the skulls of people, the whole, the whole flow will come to a halt. Yep, indeed. Um, and, uh, you know, for the question of socialism, I find this to be important because it gets to... Uh, even in a socialist society, you would see these kinds of um, informational problems happening between, uh, say, the consumer sector and the sector producing means of production or uh, in between, uh, say, like, uh, you know, citizens groups and workers groups, um, like all, all this kind of uh, – informational asymmetry resulting in um, 
well, not just asymmetry, but just like attenuation resulting in political conflict um, uh, is is something that we could anticipate happening because uh, we like we've seen it happen in socialist societies already. We know this happens. It's just a fact. Um, OK. Uh, yeah. And the, the, the people who insist that this will not happen in true communism are just like what this is out to lunch. Um, I've read essays to that effect uh, when I was reading about the sort of debates about socialism and market socialism and stuff. Uh, and it's just not informed by any kind of reasonable information. Um, <clears throat> so uh, let's go on then. Um, so... Uh, in real life, the position is much complicated by the viewpoints of other directors. For instance, the financial director may be wholly obsessed with an orthodox professional analysis of the situation. If so, he will be taking a language that has to do with replacement costs and investment allowances, a language which may be conducive to the inevitable, inevitable perpetuation of the existing state of affairs. He may be supported by an engineering director thinking in precisely the same terms. The firm that is most likely to break out of these endless loops is one in which the managing director has provided himself with a first-rate operational research group. If these people are left to acquaint themselves with the nature of the business and to make integral analyses of the firm's viability, they may well succeed in providing the linkage between the separate fragments which is required. Unfortunately, domestic OR groups are typically encumbered with problems fed to them by the fragments. That suits them because it justifies their existence in the eyes of the individual board members. But if a production manager commissions an operational research study of what he takes to be a production problem, he quite certainly expects a production-oriented solution. He does not want the OR group to start talking to him about sales policy and so on. On the other hand, whoever has an, to answer to the board for the cost of the OR department is not at all happy that they should be working away on what appears to be nothing in particular, and therefore he encourages the group to devote itself to assignments allocated by the sectional heads. So uh, it's like, at, in the first place, the departmental heads are going to be encumbered by their uh, habitus um, and their their way of viewing the world, uh, you know. So this is perhaps uh, this perhaps speaks to one of the uh, main problems uh, with central bank autonomy under neoliberalism. Uh, if you want to use the central bank as the control system for the entire society you unfortunately are only going to get a central banker's perspective on what that society ought to look like. Um, now, uh, one way to get out of this is to, to create a general OR group. But as, as Beer says here, uh, the OR group is going to need to justify its, uh, its existence to the managing directors, uh, and therefore it's going to produce uh, incoherent overall uh products right like because it's going to be oh here is the the or view of production here is the or view of sales and these things do not actually cohere with each other and in fact the even the executive is going to encourage this 
because he's going to say, well, I don't just want you like going around and and looking at everything like that's just a mess. Like, don't do that. Um, so it's it's a it's a it's a serious muddle uh, that we're in here. Uh, any sort of things to talk about? Like, I think, Lauren, you were saying that, like, this is very relatable uh, from the perspective of, like, uh, government departments dealing with finance or dealing with treasury. Yeah, do you want to speak to that? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, I, yeah, I, uh, gosh. Um, yeah, I was thinking about trying to get policy through at national government level, and it's like one department will put the policy forward, the minister will present it to cabinet, um, but on the policy level, you're always battling with Treasury who are like, well, this isn't like, this isn't a good use of money. <laughs> uh, like, have you thought about this and this and this, like this risk analysis? And we're, of course, we're like, oh, we hate them. Like, they, they always like ruin our fun and make us like have to answer the problem, like have to answer to the budget and stuff. And, um, or worst case scenario, your policies in joint with other departments. And then you have to get them to buy in. So if you need justice or like conservation or someone else to get on board and you're just, you're talking different languages, you have different agendas, you have different places you're coming from to get this like one piece like national piece of policy through um and it, it's a shit show <laughs> so i wasn't surprised to see a reference to like the prime minister of the uk in this book cause, cause oh yeah we get <laughs> we we get that dig at thatcher uh that comes up uh which is i assume from the second edition of the book um okay matt and then uh jake yeah, when he's talking about with the OR group, just reminds me very much of you know what what often happens with uh, um, uh, 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 data science departments now. You know, companies are like trading them, um, uh, uh, you know, partially out of like just buzz and hype, and you know, it really is a matter of like you, uh, there's like a courtier game of like you know, what, 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 oh, uh, you, you, you're your job is basically to make some manager look good. And if, you know, like there's really just one department that, you know, um, uh, is interested in doing that, then, you know, you have to do things that, 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 that are just about that department, even, uh, uh, um, you know, um, unless, um, you know, like, like uh, really top executives, like have enough of an attention span to like really um, integrate, you know, like the data science stuff, you know, like it, 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 it is a thing where, you know, uh, what you're doing isn't necessarily that useful for like the whole. Right. Uh, you just become a, a partial advisor. There's an example that comes up later in this chapter where uh, an OR group optimizes a department so much that it actually takes over the organization um, because it's operating so much more efficiently than everybody else. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Jake, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I, I think this kind of like is, it's an interesting like example, I guess, of how, like sort of this capitalist notion of like, well, we have to, the hierarchy is natural and good and don't disrupt the hierarchy as like beer or any like systems thinking person coming into a firm and saying, look, well, no, why don't you try examining it from this angle and the manager, the people in charge, CEO, whatever, being like, whoa, whoa, we don't want to disrupt how things are working. Like things were working well, you know, like we couldn't have them working any differently because that would be bad. And just like, even, you know, you can counter that in like, I mean, you can counter that in like leftist circles too, of like people who the more, I guess, authoritarian minded, whatever that, you know, buzzword, but like the people that are like, well, you know, oh, don't, don't like send, don't ask like general membership this question or don't ask general membership to do this. Like you have to go through this person who is in charge of doing this thing. And then by the time you're able to go through that person, like the whole, it's no longer like as relevant or as useful and just like an interesting way of just this concept of, of organizing things differently is like 
very threatening to people who like I mean like you were saying Lauren, like generally like old white men who are have this power already and are worried about any shift in their power uh due to like a more equitable way of organizing things or a more democratic way of distributing the information as like a affront to their power which in a sense it kind of is but their power should be affronted so yeah. uh learn go ahead uh yeah i um it's funny to me <clears throat> when we were talking about sort of principles of love and caring for each other and that being kind of like the foundation of any organization because so i can see if you're in breach of that principle this goes really wrong so like I, i've worked in organizations where senior managers hated each other <laughs> like there were a lot of decisions made out of spite because it's like well i don't want him to like, win on this one so i'm going to do this even though it wasn't in the interest of the company or the people working there or anything it was like i'm going to win this this battle <laughs> um and how that can be really toxic for and sort of poison the rest of the organism the organism yes uh definitely well and the whole thing like you're saying matt about like the courtier problem uh it you know it's 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 it gets back to what i was saying in the the previous discussion about how like yeah if you have a unitary authoritarian system this problem just manifests itself as court politics um and yeah it's it's not a solution to have a sun king running everything um okay so uh we'll go on then um so he says it's absurd to lay the whole onus for the integration of a business upon the OR group. Um, good to know. <laughs> um, so this needs to be done by an anatomy and a physiology designed to this very end. We saw in chapter one how it comes about that businesses do not actually have uh, well-designed control systems. And hitherto, no one could blame them for it. Uh, we did not have the information handling capability to do other than what we have traditionally done. But today, we have that capability thanks to electronics. Um, so, uh, you know, he says microcomputers are going to revolutionize this. Um you know, in some ways they have, uh, there certainly are incredible, uh, computing systems for integration that we see in like Amazon or Walmart or whatever. Like they are really amazing. Uh, they haven't really, um, addressed more fundamental problems, but like certainly beer was pointing in the right direction when he pointed this out. Uh, like a, that thing about like, you know, um, what is it? Uh, buying stock that is already in the warehouse or uh, selling something that you don't have because the, 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 the synchronization is out of whack. Um, like that kind of stuff has actually been addressed by uh, electronic inventory systems. Um, so, you know, he's pointing in the right direction. It's just there's a lot of other issues that uh, people didn't take his advice on. Um so, yeah, we have interconnections. Um, as long as computers are regarded as, quote unquote, sophisticated, and more particularly, as long as they are typically used to do the wrong job, they are an extravagance. Uh, it is a matter of priorities. It might well be better to spend what in existing circumstances sounds like an appallingly large sum on a correct application of computers than to do anything else. Uh, so, again, that like or sorry, this this I think speaks to the whole idea of the 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 soviet internet 
uh, that that was uh, proposed in the USSR uh, that we saw covered in in Red Plenty, right? Like it is uh, a appallingly large sum on a correct application of computers. Um, and it was not undertaken because it was an appallingly large sum. It was more than developing atomic weapons. Um, but maybe it could have saved the organization in some way. Maybe. Uh, uh, but it does have to be a correct application. And by that rather silly adjective, readers will now more readily understand, is meant an application which provides integral control. At present, a firm must tackle this task virtually from fr first principles and from within. This is because neither the computer manufacturers nor the consultants who advide, advise on computer applications have made any effort to design a systematic package for controlling the firm. So, Jeremy, this, this gets to what you are saying previously, like, make software out of this. You can do it. <laughs> it's useful. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, they seem to think that every company is different, and so it is, but not in every way. Uh, I consider that it would be possible to produce a quintuple, quintuple hierarchy system of mixed analog and digital hardware uh, together with a mixed command and tracking language software, which would give any firm a flying start in tailor-making, as it inevitably must, its own control system. The possibilities have been open for many years, and once again, we must consider the introduction of microprocessors, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay, and there's the pr problem of mon monopolistic control over computers, which he says that uh, microprocessors are going to upend, as they indeed did, but this did not produce VSM software. Uh, Matt and then Jeremy. Um, uh, uh, when, yeah, uh, 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 talking about the, the difference between, uh, you know, how computer systems were used in the U.S. Uh, versus the USSR, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about how um, you probably do like an interesting VSM analysis of like ARPA itself, because like, I feel like it's not an accident that, you know, like um, the U.S., which had like a kind of unique institution, but like ARPA was created by Fiat, by Eisenhower, specifically to like rise above like the fray of like different, um, uh, you know, of the Department of the Navy having its own research that they're very, you know, uh, that they're very protective of and like it really is kind of brilliant and like you know it, it's 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 institutional dynamics seem like yeah any other that, that that are very cool and unique and i yeah i think that's why like we got that correct application of of uh, of computers in in our uh, arpanet and uh also j j just thinking about like the flying starts um uh, um like it, it's it's interesting how like um you know th there are like some companies that like make like you know like the software for like every like like every gym has like the same like software suite and it's terrible software but like e even even terrible software like uh, uh you know is like in what it gives you is still just so invaluable that like any gym or like pretty much any restaurant you know like, like point of sale stuff, stuff. Uh, you cut out there matt I am, uh, uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, like any gym or, or, or like or like any restaurant. Um, uh, um, uh, what's it? Uh, yeah, just uh, uh, like like you need this. Like 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 even even a really terrible version of this software just makes you so much more efficient that you know any excellent one has to have. Uh, right. So yeah, purpose built software actually useful even if it's bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, Jeremy, go ahead. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I think there's so many. You said you kind of quoted me for what I was going to say, which is why isn't this software? I mean, if you consider that by the time the second edition of this book came out, 
Emacs was four years old. You know, the, uh, like, there could have been free and open source software that mapped to the corporation but was hackable the way Emacs is hackable that could have built all of this. I mean, someone could have done this at the time of the second edition of this book, but they didn't. And when I went to Metaforum in 2019, that was one of my big questions for Peter Tudnam and Elena Leonard and Raul Espejo was, where is the software? Was it written? What happened to it? And a big part of it was the software that was written was proprietary and it was written for obsolete machines and no one had the rights to the source code. And it very, very quickly became horribly obsolete and useless. And to me, I cry thinking about this because they didn't have a concept of free software. And because they didn't have a concept of free software, it was just obvious that software was proprietary. And because software was proprietary, it ended up in these buckets and the buckets deteriorated and it became worthless. And it's such an incredible lost opportunity that would have completely transformed the world of work. Yeah, uh, so... You know, I can definitely imagine the like visual basic uh, implementation of VSM uh, that was written somewhere. Uh, But even like stuff that was like proprietary to like OS2 or like, like, it's, it's, you know, it's limited to like OS2 warp and it won't run on Windows. Uh, And we're like, you know, uh, these implementations are totally imaginable and, and completely useless. Especially when you consider that portability becomes all the more important when you consider the application of this software, right? Because, like, there are, uh, you know, proprietary uh, sort of, like, organizational solutions or whatever uh, that are written in, like, COBOL and are, are, are just maintained and are, like, it's like if this archaic system fails the whole thing is fucked and these exist in like the deep dark depths of uh of organizations everywhere but they work because they're purpose built for that organization by its very nature vsm software has to be something that is portable and therefore it really needs to be uh uh, free software um, yeah, obviously. And it's, with the, the thing that's so exasperating about this is here we are in the year 2020. This book, even the second edition, is 40 years old. And where is the VSM software? Like, I mean, where is Stafford Beer in nerd culture? Like, you figure that these hackers who were building <laughs> Linux had no idea that Stafford Beer existed when they very well could have. I mean, Stafford Beer is a contemporary of Richard Stallman and Bill Joy, you know? Like, why wasn't this just becoming part of hacker culture? And I, the only thing I can think of is you get these fucking meatheads like Eric Raymond pushing everyone towards techno-libertarian shite. 
and having everyone think of themselves as anarcho-capitalists. It's just puerile. Like, I mean, we could be building this software today, but we've lost 40-year head start on this. You know, I mean, we should be building the software today. I mean, this software should be as easy as writing apt get VSM on any Linux, any Debian-based machine, you know, or yum if you're doing Red Hat. Like, it should just be obviously part of the ecosystem. Even and Windows is getting a pot package manager now, so, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and especially customizable the way Emacs is customizable so people can do things with it that are completely unfathomable to the original creators. Well, I mean, we have the uh, uh, resources uh, within uh, this group here uh, to make the software so I think it would probably be good to actually set up a working group for the purposes of making this software. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, because like, you know, it's, um, uh, where is it in nerd culture? It's here, right? <laughs> That's where it is. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like we should definitely set that up. Um, maybe in a platform that's, or maybe in like a, a, a place that is, that is not, uh, paid to get into, but, uh, it might start here. Um, anyway, uh, well, let's move on. But that's definitely something we need to take away from this. We need to make this software. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a significant action point. Um, okay. Uh, so, uh, what is true of the small business is a fortiori, uh, true of the large business. A really big firm is an amalgam of smaller firms. There are divisions, subsidiaries, and so forth. If the human brain is beaten in the attempt to control a firm, which is as least ostensibly one, then how much more difficult is it for the holding company of a large corporation to operate sensibly? Yet here again, we are dealing with something intended to be a single viable organism. Just as there were competing claims and competing views of the world in the smaller firm because of the fragmentation into production sales and so forth, so there are competing views between whole companies when they are formed into a giant corporation. Uh, I think especially here of Sony. Sony is an excellent example of this, right? Uh, for the longest time, uh, you know, Sony had the sort of group ethos of we build quality hardware, uh, we are an engineer's company um, and we make consumer electronics and that was all shared. But you had like a, a, an enormous proliferation of production groups within Sony. So they would just go on making like, you know, we're going to build the best uh, FM alarm clock, even though people are mostly interested in iPods now. Uh, like, you know, it, it, like it, there was no cohesion. It was just... A, an enormous product line that this 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 uh, group was coming up with because they all had their little fiefdoms that wanted to go on producing stuff. Um, unhappily, the directors at, let us call it group level, are still constrained by the three pound computers in their skulls, just as is the head of the small business or the one man band himself. I often think that if a scientist were arrived were to arrive from Mars and study our organization charts, well, now that we know that aliens exist, maybe maybe somebody has. 
Maybe an, maybe an alien has done this. Uh, he uh, would inevitably conclude that the managing director of the corporation must have a brain weighing half a ton. Uh, that is to say, we organize ourselves in a way which the law of requisite variety and information theory in general cannot justify unless the size of people's heads in increases exponentially with their seniority. Unhappily, this is never true, except perhaps in a metaphorical sense. Um, so, you know, uh, <laughs> very true. Uh, so the question, what is the model a model of, is answered by a viable organism, regardless of its size. This is an interesting invariant of the model's application, but it does, as I warned, lead to confusion unless we are careful. The warning is this, before anyone starts thinking about a business in terms of this model, he must first just clearly decide how the model is supposed to fit. If he looks at the actual organization, he finds some parts of it to be conscious, some parts autonomic, and so on. The point is that which parts are which varies depending on the application he tries to make. If we consider a giant corporation as a viable entity, then the main board alone can possibly be allocated a conscious role. The boards of subsidiary companies are, from the standpoint of the holding board, centers of autonomic activity. But this does not prevent our moving into one of the subsidiary companies and treating that as a viable entity. If we do, it will mean that our control system is aimed at obtaining survival-worthy policies for that company as if it were isolated. In that case, it may go to war with its associate companies, and then the main board will have to sort the matter out. Um, so we do see that these are uh, separate cases. Um, doing a VSM for a, a, a corporate group is not going to yield the VSM for the subsidiaries, right? It's only going to give you viability at the group level, not at the subsidiary level. Um, so that means you really need thoroughgoing application and you really need a VSM of VSMs, right? Like you need integration uh, for this to work. Uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, and, and you need to really clarify which level you're looking at at any given time. Because I think it, it would be too it would be too easy to try to account for everything at once and end up with a kind of rhizomatic sprawl of just of mess and it's like well I don't know where the fuck system do is but like if you if you focus on which layer of recursion you actually care about you can forget about all the details below you can forget about the details above and you focus on that layer and then later you can step up or down but you have to be like what's the system in focus very very important question yeah it's just Ashley's Ashby's law right. Uh in terms of doing this stuff. Um, okay, Mark, go ahead. Uh, you're, you're muted, Mark. Okay, sorry about that. Um, yeah, just a minor note, but uh, yeah, I just, when I'm reading these chapters, like uh, I really think of the kind of the historical context, uh, like some of these chapters focus more on like the conglomerate era of like, you know, you have these things you ha where the groups are like not even in the same business area necessarily right you know so it's like the where the resource like some of it 
in the earlier chapters, it goes from like, well, you had the kind of the sole proprietor thing, and then maybe they had another factory that was across town or, you know, 100 miles away or whatever. But then at this point, it's just like dealing with things that like maybe they aren't viable because they're <laughs> just too damn big anyways. But uh, um, anyways, yeah, just a, um, just a point at that because it just it, these little things just kind of pop up and then you think like, well, is that still I mean. Obviously, there's still big, big companies trying to, you know, uh, you know, dominate in multiple fields at the same time. But it's just kind of a, a different thing than like, you know, the whole Amazon, Apple, Google world we're in now. Right. And well, um, what this brings to mind for me is like, what if you did a VSM for Bain Capital? Right. Uh, yeah, totally. Like a viable version of Bain Capital is going to kill other organizations, <laughs> exactly. right? Because it is inherently a predatory organize, organism. Um, like you can have a viable predator, right? That That is just going to go around and effectively eat other organizations um, for its own enrichment and survival. Uh, so yeah, that like that does clarify something, right? Because if you look at it at that group level, the... Uh, the individual organizations that Bain Capital consumes um, are not really integral to the viability of Bain Capital. Um, their death is immaterial to it. Uh, in fact, it's functional. Uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, that's really, really important stuff, right? Because like um, the perhaps by, by way of analogy, there, there there is a certain kind of sea slug in the world, um, which... It, one of its defense strategies is actually a really remarkable offensive strategy. It, it, it eats a, another, some, some other bullshit fucking lobster or whatever. But this other organism has these, um, like cells. It has these, like, micro organ, or, organs that have, like, poison stingers in them. And if, if you trigger the cell, it, like, goes and fires these little tendrils and it's very painful. The sea slug eats this guy and while digesting him, absorbs those, like, hand grenades, essentially absorbs them without triggering them. Then it moves the little hand grenades out to the surface of its own skin, and it appropriates the defense of the other organism. So if you think of those cells as VSM, the viable systems, which they are, those are, the, the, the integrity of the prey is broken down and its component parts are taken out and repurposed for the predator to use. So it is, it is very possible to split these things apart and reorganize them. So, I mean, like, even beer suggests that, like, the, uh, I don't know, the plastics manufacturing department of a firm could be split off as a, as a, as a different organism or could even be sold to another company. And it just, you just go and clunk it down somewhere else. So there is a plasticity to all this that, uh, like these, these sub bodies can leave the body and go somewhere else as well. And they can be repurposed, in fact. And precisely because they're modular, like they are, they are self-contained. Like if that little hand grenade cell, was not self-contained. The the sea slug would find it impossible to get at its resources. It's the fact that it is contained. It can like develop an evolutionary strategy to grab it without without triggering it, and then like move it to the surface of its own skin. So it, it like grows a completely new. It grows a completely new function by appropriating it from a different organism rather than developing it internally. Remarkable stuff. Really remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, moving on. Uh, there is an important passage here. Uh, 
where Beer sort of addresses this question of like, well, like, is viability at the maximum level of of, of uh, the system actually just going to be predatory? Um, so he says, uh, from this point of view of the ma- from the point of view of the management scientist, at any rate, he will apply his model where he's paid to work and apply it. Uh, to drop yet another stage, for instance, it is quite common for the OR man to be pegged at a departmental level within a company, within a larger company, within a corporation. There is then nothing to stop the OR man from using an organic control module within the department if it seems worth the effort. Uh, but the onus is on senior management to have these things rightly applied. I have seen it happen that one department was made so effective that gross imbalance within the company was created and that one department was virtually controlling the firm. From our point of view, at any rate, we can do no more than acknowledge that the model ought to be applied to the major entity with which we have to deal. If the prime minister is reading this, she will realize that the model should be applied to the country. British prime ministers, however, as each memoir in turn shows, prefer reading that which rehearses the past rather than reading directed to the future over which supposedly they have some influence. Uh, This is not the case with some other countries as part four shows. So, uh, you know, um, he's he's calling Thatcher out for essentially being a neoliberal, uh, right? For just reiterating liberalism. Um, But... uh, also importantly, like, you know, he's sort of saying like, hey, some countries actually do this like Chile and we should learn from that. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it kind of implies that like this country level VSM ought to have some concern for its component systems, right? It shouldn't just uh you know devour them <laughs> right like it it shouldn't be like uh you know a country in world war 1 just producing a meat grinder uh of its own citizenry um in order to survive uh that does seem to be something that is a little bit ambiguous uh in what beer is stating um but if if you think about the long term viability of the system it really should, you know, focus on renewable resources in a sense, right? Um, uh, Matt, go ahead. Uh, Matt, you're muted. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, uh, I'm, I'm looking back the, the, the back to uh, we were talking about earlier of like where um, system one ends and like the the, the actual subsystems uh, begin. You know, um, uh, maybe uh, like um, you know. Like what? Um, what capitalism kind of considers um, subject versus object, or like, or like the four sheeps from uh, um, uh, from Moore or something? Well, or you know what? Yeah, like like what? What is like a substrate that you know you're allowed to just consume and, and reshape for your purposes versus like what do you consider part of you in some way? Is an interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that is like maybe a question that gets beyond viability and is actually an ethical question. Um, right. Uh, Matt, go ahead. So, yeah. And, and also, yeah, just, just like on a functional level, like, like, like you can kind of tell like what the system like kind of considers like, you know, uh, uh, like feedstock versus like its body. And also like, I, I think uh, you can kind of see like the difference in orientation between like, uh, uh, you know, like, like, like fascists who think in terms of like of an actual like a body politic. Well, th- that's part of why that's wrong because you know, like in World War One, kind of shows you no, the, 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 the body politic does not actually consider you part of its body. 
like it will very happily like use you as a resource to do its real objectives because you know the real actor is capital like there is no germany like yeah well and, and like it, yeah like you can um look for example I'm, I'm just thinking about having read the book stalingrad right um and that describes in detail uh the sort of horrific death of the uh, I believe it was the German Fifth Army. I mean, the, the horrific deaths on the Soviet side were, uh, you know, very real. And people were absolutely used as just like cannon fodder. Um, was, like the Soviet tactics were incredibly wasteful of human life. Uh, but the the German approach was, you know, in its sort of like micro level, maybe more considerate of the lives of its soldiers, but like <laughs> when it came down to it, Hitler's word was final and the generals were never going to stand up to him because of their individual political interests and also their complicity with Hitler. Like Hitler, Hitler by making everyone complicit with him made it so that his will really did override any concerns of viability for the entire country. Um, it's this incredible parasitism. Um, so, you know, you just had soldiers in the Fifth Army who pretty much to the end, freezing to death without food, surrounded on all sides by the Soviet Army, they refused to attempt an operation to break out of the, 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 the trap that they were in because so many of them honestly believe had either like engaged in learned helplessness or had, um, they honestly believed that, that Hitler would not let them die. Um, and, and, and when the Soviets offered them surrender, they said, we cannot, sir, we cannot take surrender on ideological grounds because we believe in the Fuhrer. Like, uh, you know that is incredibly toxic stuff uh, when you you think about a uh, organism devouring its component parts. Um, so yeah, this this uh, fascism is so terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay, let's let's move on from fascism and from Thatcher uh, to other other things. Uh, so the next part of this, this, this chapter is really going to make the linkage between, uh, the, the, uh, anatomy and physiology we've been discussing with the organizational theory. Um, uh, I think I kind of want to just ask for general thoughts here because I don't want to get too bogged down in the details. I think the only really important detail to focus on is that system one connection that we uh, were discussing earlier. Uh, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I guess that that's the that's the thing, right? That like by the time you um, by the time you get to figure twenty two on page one hundred and thirty, you can see the whole thing. And yeah, that, that that like it's really clearly labeled, right? That like you have the, the vertical column of A, B, C, D, which actual subsidiaries, the actual bodies, the the sub, the actual organs. And then system one, which is 1A, 1B, 1C, and 1D on the right-hand side, 
are the control interfaces of those suborgans. So I, I, I think I, again reiterate it. I, I think this can, this this model is not so much about like enclosure as it is kind of like spindly sort of spider web interconnection. That it's 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 not it's not it's not concerned with subsuming the entirety of the organ. It's subsuming the control function of the organ, or like you know interfacing with it, um, and that. That is less clear if you just think of system one as being solely about the the, the, or, the if system one is the organ. I think we actually saw it in the previous in one of the previous chapters with the control of the respiratory system, where the lungs are an organ, but the respiratory control structure is a distributed control mechanism that is not identical to the lung, which is tricky because we we often think respiratory system equals lung, and I think what Beer is getting at here is they're actually quite distinct. Things there's the organ and then there's the control of the organ and it's the control of the organ that's integrated. No, it's a fo- it, right. It's a focus on control and it's a focus on um, uh, you know, to get to that cybernetics idea, it's a focus on steerspersonship, right? Um, steering is is what we're interested here. In. So it's not that you know these organs could just do whatever the hell they want. They are being um. What does Marx call it? Uh, it? It's not real subsumption, but it's the the first stage of subsumption that Marx describes. Formal, formal, subsumption. formal subsumption. Yeah, I think I think I think what Beer is describing here is a form of formal subsumption, which, because of the nature of feedback that he is describing in the earlier parts of the book, ultimately becomes real subsumption, right? Because f- feedback is dominant over the signal that's coming in. Um, So like it's real tricky. Like it's not, I guess there's a distinction between real subsumption and total subsumption, right? Because it's not total subsumption, but it is providing that feedback that is actually directing the organs uh, in a way. Mm -hmm. Uh, It ultimately, um, I guess we can draw the distinction. That I kind of don't want to dwell on it too long, but I guess we can draw the distinction, like the subsumption levels between, like, um, the kind of way that a person is subsumed into, say, a company, uh, where it's, it's this like contractual relational sort of thing, where yeah, I go to work every day, but I can kind of choose not to. I can go somewhere else, right? That like, it's 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 an association rather than a full containment. Like my entire my entire being is not contained within the company. Whereas by contrast, to go back to the, the fascists, right, like. If you were a Wehrmacht soldier in, in Germany, your entire your entire fucking body was subsumed by the the German people or the, the the sort of whatever that containing object was. It was supposed to devour and contain the entirety of your being, and that's that's a very different kind of like absolute subsumption versus the kind of uh, control integration that we're talking about here. Uh, where there is there is still something exterior, there is still something excessive left over for the subsidiary to enjoy on its own, but there is there is a feedback control integration, uh, and I think it's just it's important to point those out. That we're not we're not talking about like the kind of body politic of fascism with like its absolute and, and complete metaphysical containment of everything inside of us. It. It's a it's a it's a control structure. Yeah, um, you know this this definitely brings up the idea of totalitarianism. Right, that totalitarianism involves a kind of subsumption, even if only ideally, um, 
that is uh, distinct from the kind of subsumption that Beer is mm-hmm. talking about here of the VSM. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, like, yes, it is an associational thing. At the same time, you're going to develop a habitus based on your role in the organization, right? Like, mm-hmm. you will become a company person. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, that is a real thing. But it's not a perfect binding and it's not a perfect subsumption. It's like a it's a conditioning of growth and, and, and a steering of the of the of the, the unit um, that happens. Um, just as, you know, we all become uh, capitalist actors in this hell world we live in. Um, all right. Uh, so I, I agree that's like the most important thing. Um, there is a talk about time in here, which is really just a reiteration of what we talked about in the previous chapter, that like the horizontal connections are more rapid, right, than the up, the vertical connections. Um, and the vertical, like if, if that's just an Ashby's law thing, like where he says, like, you can't possibly have, what is it, um... There must be an immediate recognition of the actual state of affairs, otherwise time lags are introduced, which the model from control engineering reveals will send the reflex loop into uncontrolled oscillation. Uh, there must finally be a way of commanding the subsidiary to update its plan to meet whatever difficulties are encountered. It is surely true that the emergency action which the local management is compelled to take in its subsidiary under an orthodox company control system is usually not the best that could be taken from the overall corporate point of view. There is simply no reason why it should be, because the local management has only the local facts to go on. In an extreme case, it may of course start telephoning, but here again it will run into the constraints of the law of requisite variety. Men simply cannot telephone all the other men in the company who may be quite seriously affected by an emergency decision every time there is a slight departure from plan. So this is getting to um, what we see in Project Cybersyn, where Beer is like really works with his team on developing UI that is going to provide the relevant information in the most rapid time possible. Um, and it's not going to provide, it's going to minimize noise as much as possible um, so that you can get kind of an optimal speed of operation, um, which is not sort of like, you know, everything operating at the same speed as horizontal connections would operate, but it's trying to limit that delta as much as you possibly can. Um, uh, another important point here is the, if we look at figure 22, um, there are these, uh, dots and lines that run at the right hand and left hand side of the diagram. Uh, and this is, uh, supposed to be, it's on the previous page he describes it. So it's a little confusing. Um, so he says, uh, the autonomic system sympathetic in the right of the diagram is monitoring, uh, monitoring all of this. It uses a higher order language than system two because it has to uh, discuss system two's behavior. If its job is to stabilize the production environment of the firm, it must supply feedbacks at the various levels which will tend to damp down the oscillations 
caused by the replanting adjustments. Even so, what is now going on is a frenetic activity and one would see this again in the case where the higher order or where the higher control centers in the firm called for a major productive effort in order to meet some kind of crisis. If that happens, all the subsidiaries will know about it. Look at the diagram. Their system one responses will go straight into the system two computers where they will be locally rationalized and will be passed on to the control centers of system three through the central somatic system. But the same information will also rise up the sympathetic trunk and will reach the control center by another route. The stimulatory feedbacks work here so that there is a right-hand loop of excitatory activity going on which is trying to meet the call of the leadership. Uh, but suppose this leads, all this leads to too much strain in the subsidiaries. There are many ways of monitoring what is happening there to protect the firm from risk. Uh, productivity, productivity indices measuring the rate of production may rise above the upper control limits normally in force. The level of overtime work may rise, uh, may rise dangerously too. Inspection procedures may become unstable because everyone is in too much of a hurry. Such signs of undue pressure will be registered in the autonomic or parasympathetic network shown on the left of the diagram. These data, too, will be fed up to the control centers of System 3. The result must be to damp down activity in the cause of safety so that an inhibitory loop is going on around the left-hand side of the diagram. It is then up to autonomic system as a whole to balance the excitatory and inhibitory pictures to produce an overall internal stability and is certainly up to System 3 to report upwards through System 4 to 5 where the policy was formulated. Um, so, uh, you know, Jeremy brought this up in the previous uh, chapter, but uh, this is where we see it in the organization. Uh, Jeremy, go ahead. Yeah, in the heart of enterprise and then later on in diagnosing the system, these are sort of later passes at this. And I think they're... I think he debugs some of the stuff in Brain of the Firm in the later books. So, for example, if you look at the diagram uh, 22, the towards the left, but not quite fully on the left, while it's still part of it, the arm that goes down, which he's calling the parasympathetic part, in the later works of Beer, he calls that whole trunk... Uh, system three star, three asterisk, because he feels that by the time it leaves the control box and enters back into these subsidiaries, it's no longer inside the control room of system three, but it's ventured back into the outer parts of the system. So he calls that chunk three star. One of the things that we might do in the future, I don't know, but, uh, you know, um, Heart of Enterprise is kind of a chore because there's it's it's a very, very weird book. But there's a lot of stuff in there that's super valuable. And one part of it is he comes up with laws, axioms, postulates and theories. Now, that's going to be horrifically obtuse to a modern reader. But a lot of it is about how load balancing works in the VSM. And I think that stuff is very, very valuable. Um, and I don't fully understand it. 
So it would be really nice at some future period to get a group of people like ourselves to tackle these axioms and see if they make sense. Well, yeah, I mean, hopefully we can maybe get like Esri involved in that, given that she has a background in uh, analytic logic uh, and would be good at, at parsing axioms and so on. Because um, <laughs> uh, I, I sure don't. Um, all right. Uh, cool. So, that yeah, that's really good to know that, that that parasympathetic system actually is what later evolves into system three star. Um, uh, okay. Um, so I'll just read the last two paragraphs here and then we'll wrap. Uh, the major control task in the firm, as far as its existing activity, which we began by calling technology A, is concerned, is to bring these two into accord. Sometimes production will have to make a concession if costs go up uh, th through using a somewhat inefficient production route in order to meet a delivery promise. Sometimes sales must make a concession. It has to take a longer de delivery promise on some items in order that the cost of overtime should not exceed all bounds. If full-scale scientific method is applied in the firm, we shall find that System 3 is the center of a major resource allocation procedure. Linear programming techniques, or better still, dynamic programming techniques, beyond, belong at this level and operate to this end. Well, that is what control systems are for. The quintuple hierarchic system envisioned here is supposed to do it as efficiently as possible. So far, we have discussed from a senior, that is a corporate management standpoint, the three lowest levels of the five. They constitute autonomic management, a name chosen from the neurophysiology rather than business lore to designate what must happen within the firm to ensure its internal stability without much top-down intervention. It has been tried in the body and it works. So the proof is in the pudding, the body works. Uh, managers, this is aimed at you. Uh, and why don't you put it into effect um, is kind of the, the, the punchy end to this chapter. Um, so uh, chapter 10 uh, is our next one. Uh, that is the biggest switch. Uh, so this is not the rumored uh, Nintendo Switch Ultra Pro. Uh, this, is, this is, in fact, another switch. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, uh, we will talk about that next week. Uh, so thank you, everyone, uh, for your time. Uh, I'll have the recording up sometime tonight. Um, and uh, I'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot, yeah. everybody. Thank you. Bye.